Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Optimal Living Daily, episode 2720, The Backwards Law, Why the Best Things in Life Must Be Let Go, part one, by Mark Manson of markmanson.net, and your narrator Justin Mollick reading you blogs every single day of the year. Now today's article is a little longer than normal, so I'll read the first half and then finish the rest up tomorrow. So with that, let's get right to part one as we optimize your life. The Backwards Law. Why the Best Things in Life Must Be Let Go, Part 1, by Mark Manson of markmanson.net. There's a part of Navy SEAL training called drown-proofing where they bind your hands behind your back, tie your feet together, and dump you into nine-foot deep pool. Your job is to survive for five minutes. Like most of SEAL training, the vast majority of cadets who attempt drown-proofing fail. Upon being tossed into the water, Many of them panic and scream to be lifted back out. Some struggle until they slip underwater, where they proceed to lose consciousness and have to be fished out and resuscitated. Over the years, a number of trainees have even died during the exercise. But some people make it, and they do so because they understand two counterintuitive lessons. The first lesson of drown-proofing is paradoxical. The more you struggle to keep your head above water, the more likely you are to sink. With your arms and legs bound, it's impossible to maintain yourself at the surface for the full five minutes. Even worse, your limited attempts to keep your body afloat will only cause you to sink faster. The trick to drown-proofing is to actually let yourself sink to the bottom of the pool. From there, you lightly push yourself off the pool floor and let your momentum carry you back to the surface. Once there, you can grab a quick breath of air and start the whole process over again. Strangely, surviving drown-proofing requires no superhuman strength or endurance. It doesn't even require that you know how to swim. On the contrary, it requires the ability to not swim. Instead of resisting the physics that would normally kill you, you must surrender to them and use them to save your own life. The second lesson of drown-proofing is a bit more obvious, but also paradoxical. The more you panic, the more oxygen you will burn and the more likely you are to fall unconscious and drown. In a sick and twisted way, the exercise turns your survival instinct against you. The more intense your desire to breathe, the less you'll be able to breathe. The more intense your will to live, the greater the chance you will die. More than a test of physical will, drown-proofing is a test of each cadet's emotional self-control in situations of extreme danger. Can he control his own impulses? Can he relax in the face of potential death? Can he willingly risk his life in the service of some higher value or goal? These skills 
are far more important than any cadet's ability to swim. They're more important than his resilience, his physical toughness, or his ambition. They're more important than how smart he is, what school he went to, or how good he looks in a crisp Italian suit. This skill, the ability to let go of control when one wants it most, is one of the most important skills anyone can develop, and not just for SEAL training, for life. Most people assume the relationship between effort and reward is one-to-one. We think that working twice as long will produce twice the results, that caring about a relationship twice as much will make everyone feel twice as loved, that yelling your point twice as loud will make you twice as right. The assumption here is that most of life exists on a linear curve, that there's a one-to-one ratio between effort and reward with everything. But allow me to inform you, as someone who just tried drinking twice the normal amount of Red Bull so he could finish editing this thing, this is almost never true. Most of the world does not exist on a linear curve. Linear relationships only exist for mindless, rote, repetitive tasks, driving a car, filling out reams of paperwork, cleaning the bathroom, etc. In all of these cases, doing something for two hours will double the output of doing it for one hour, but that's simply because they require no thought or ingenuity. Most activities in life do not operate along the linear effort and reward curve because most activities in life are not basic nor mindless. Most activities are complex, mentally and or emotionally taxing, and require adaptation. Therefore, most activities produce a diminishing returns curve. Diminishing returns means that the more you experience something, the less rewarding it becomes. The classic example is money. The difference between earning $20,000 and $40,000 is huge and life-changing. The difference between earning $120,000 and $140,000 means your car has slightly nicer seat heaters. The difference between earning $127,020,000 and $127,040,000 is basically a rounding error on your tax return. The concept of diminishing returns applies to most experiences that are complex and novel. The number of showers you take in a day, the number of chicken wings you inhale during happy hour, the number of trips home to visit your mother in a year. These are all experiences that start out highly valuable at first, but then diminish in value the more frequently you do them. Sorry, mom. Another example, studies on work productivity show that we're really only productive for the first four to five hours of each day. Everything after that, suffers severe diminished returns to the point where the difference between working for 12 hours and 16 hours is basically nothing, not counting sleep deprivation. Friendships operate on diminishing returns curve. Having one friend is vital. Having two is clearly better than one, but having 10 instead of nine changes little in your life, and having 21 instead of 20 just makes remembering people's names that much more difficult. has diminishing returns, as does eating, sleeping, drinking alcohol, working out at the gym, reading books, taking vacations, hiring employees, consuming caffeine, saving for retirement, scheduling business meetings, studying for an exam, staying up late to play video games. The examples are endless. All give back less the more you do them, the more you try, or the more you have. All operate on a diminishing returns curve. But there's another curve, one that you've probably never seen or heard of before, and that's largely because I make a lot of this up. Hear about that in tomorrow's episode. You just listened to part one of the post titled The Backwards Law, Why the Best Things in Life Must Be Let Go by Mark Manson of markmanson.net.
Thank you to Mark. I love that he brought up the classic diminishing returns example. I think it's taught in economics, but the first time it really sank in for me was when I was getting my MBA. A random class had us read the book, Your Money or Your Life, which is a massive favorite amongst uh, personal finance enthusiasts. That book is mentioned pretty often on our podcast, Optimal Finance Daily. But anyway, when I read that book, it made more sense to me at that time that the more money we have, yeah, there's a point where it's a gain in happiness or satisfaction, but to take it to the extreme, if you're a multi-billionaire, another million really doesn't do anything and possibly has adverse effects. Might not seem like it to us, but the different problems that arise at a certain level of wealth can have massive impacts on our well-being. And that's probably why something like half of lottery winners lose their money. Same with things. The more things we have, yeah, it adds happiness in the beginning, but you reach a certain point where more things just add chaos and clutter. It's not fun anymore. And as Mark mentioned, this is the case for many, many things in life. So we'll see what he has to say tomorrow about this other curve. But that should do it for today. Thank you for being here and listening every day. And I'll be back tomorrow to finish up this post where your optimal life awaits.